0: Yakima Chief Hops is a 100% grower-owned hop supplier with a mission to connect brewers worldwide with the family farms that grow their hops. YCH is proud to provide brewers in Australia and New Zealand with quality hop products and brewing solutions to elevate their beers. Learn more at yakimachief.com. As a journalist, whenever we ask these questions, oh, Matt, smarter people than you are making these decisions, until suddenly (laughs) the decisions don't look all that smart in hindsight. (laughs) And we're back for another week of the latest news that you need to know if you're in the brewing industry. We're recording today on the 3rd of February 2022, and this is episode 354. Welcome back, Claire Burnett.
1: Uh-huh. Hey, Matt.
0: Welcome back, Sabrina Kunz. Hi. Matt. We still haven't worked out how we uh, describe no, you, it's Brisbane str- resident.
1: You should Brisbane come up with a new title every week. Brewing industry consultant. That's Brewing industry consultant. <laughs> 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 if you want to know how good your beer is, Sabrina will try it. Well, if
0: you want business consultancy or anything <laughs> like that, might be the way. But anyway, on with the news, big week of news this week. Um, Claire...
1: We have indeed. It's Gabs releases
0: in. all of the Hottest 100 lists.
1: They have indeed. Uh, so obviously we got the uh, Hottest 100 first list week before last. And then we've got the Next 100 Indie Craft Beers, uh, Top New Brews and the 101 to 200 list. Um, so some interesting results there, um, but also uh, they've released a few interesting stats. This year results spread across uh, 57 different breweries and they all placed in the top 20% of the 2,238 beers nominated this year. Um, So brewery setting trends with the most new brews were Bolter, Range and Banks, uh, who each had five releases on the list, uh, followed by Moondog and One Drop with four each.
0: Now, is that the top 100 or is that all lists?
1: that's new brews. Uh, New Bruce, okay. New Bruce. There we go. I, I believe, yeah.
0: So it was, it was interesting how many people were sweating after they listened to the podcast last week. They were sweating on
1: so uh, many questions, asking when the next lo- load of lists When's it going to come? Oh, when's we, it going to come? Gonna, <laughs> so uh, I'm glad we
0: were able to speak to Mike last week. But yep. then, uh, yeah, people were eagerly anticipating, and it. it didn't go till late on the night that Mike said it was yeah. going to. So uh, yeah, that's
1: it. I like it. Leaving a bit of tension in the air. Certainly
0: a little bit of tension. (laughs) Now, Black Hops' second equity crowdfund raises 2.2 million.
1: They did indeed. Um, This is the biggest equity crowdfund in the beer industry. Last year's SpinFX actually held the record up until this time. Uh, So they raised 2 million, and that was a Western Australian brand. And now Black Hops. They're old hats at this. They've done this before. Uh, They've also done some reward crowdfunding. They started reward crowdfunding and I think they raised $18,000. So this is a huge step up for them, Um, but really successful. It was within 24 hours um, and they did a great job. They sort of hailed the incredible support um, for the business and its crowdfund. Um, They didn't even get a chance to open to the public. They were literally just expressions of interest. Anybody who'd registered their interest during that period, they were the ones that, like, just completely oversubscribed it effectively, so hit the maximum within 24 hours. So, yeah, well done to Black Ops.
0: And from one good bit of news for equity crowdfunding to potentially some bad news, and it's a story that isn't yet posted, Um, so I'll take this one. Endeavour Brewing buys taproom from joint venture partner. Beleaguered Endeavour Brewing has announced that it has taken full ownership of the Endeavour taprooms and brew pub located in Sydney's The Rocks, despite being unable to secure the financial accounts for the venue. Endeavour had previously operated the venue as a 50-50 joint venture with Applejack Hospitality. In an announcement to shareholders, the company said it had carefully weighed up its options and believed it will be able to maximise returns to its members and strengthen its home in the rocks by moving to full ownership of the venue as Endeavour. The company, the first to raise funding under an equity crowdfunding uh, changes in 2018, has not submitted its 2021 accounts to ASIC or to its shareholders as it re- is required to under CSF legislation. The company's previously advised Bruce News that it was not able to meet its requirement to provide its financial reports to shareholders because it was awaiting accounts from its that same joint venture partner. The company advised it has still not received these accounts. In response to questions from Bruce News about how it was able to assess value for the purchase of the business without the financial accounts for that business, Director Ken Bromley advised that the purchase value was assessed based on management accounts and inquiries made. However, he said the company's overdue report would be made available to shareholders as and when the financial accounts are available. So, we, that'll definitely be something that will come up in below the fold.
1: Oh, yes, that will be mentioned again.
0: Now, an, an interesting one, Claire a new mm. recipe for asahi super dry.
1: Indeed. So, this one came out um, worldwide a couple of weeks ago, but we wanted to sort of understand what that meant for the Australian market. So, uh, Japan's asahi super dry, that is. The recipe of that beer is being changed for the first time since it launched in 1987. Uh, it was a media release that's posted uh, in Japanese, so um, lots of people were translating it, uh, and we got in touch with uh, Asai representatives in uh, Australia just to see whether that was going to impact uh, how uh, Super Dry is made over here. So the Word of word from the horse's mouth is that not yet. Uh, that's that seems to be the case. They're going to see how it goes uh, over in Japan. It's got a huge percentage of the beer market over in Japan. Um, but I sort of did a little deep dive into uh, the two markets and just how similar they actually were, and they are surprisingly similar in lots of ways. Obviously, different in some lo- mo- lots more obvious ways as well. Um, but interesting to see that f- move from Asahi and wonder whether that will. Uh, spread uh, as we go.
0: Another one that yep. will definitely be coming up in <laughs> Below the Fold. Um, All In's work Kit diversification. An, an interesting story yeah, uh, about a business right. that's looking at broadening its uh, product base.
1: Indeed. So we've actually done a few interesting diversification stories in the past year or so. So Moondog um, launching its seltzer dispensers, Sea uh, Legs Brewing in Brisbane, moving into mobile canning, uh, and now All In Brewing Co. Um, is sort of really heralding the success of its uh, fresh work kits uh that it's using to augment its core business and it was interesting just to see how um h- how well they've been doing on that kind of thing so to the, right now all in is apparently producing five times the amount of amount of work compared to finished beer uh and it's proved to, proven to be really successful um and i spoke to uh head of sales luke phillips just having a chat about um Sort of the synergies, if we may use that word, uh, between home brewing and the brewing community uh, and how that's just been really beneficial to All In as sort of an extra revenue stream, particularly when things are getting a little bit tricky and challenging out there um, all throughout the COVID period. So, uh, yeah, well done to them. And I'm sure we're going to see more of that.
0: Yeah, and it, I mean, that's a really interesting story because, you know, they're making wort anyway to ferment it, and we constantly hear from breweries the challenges they get in getting tap and distribution, but <laughs> if you can get the, I guess, if you can get the scale for your production without tying up fermenters yourself, um, it's a, it's a way of... You know, increasing revenue, yeah, um, in absolutely. in very very efficiently With something that
1: you don't have to invest an absolute ton more money in. You do it already. You're doing it anyway. You know how it's done. You know how it's done well. Uh, and I think homebrewers have appreciated uh, that All in is a active working commercial brewery, and this is what they use. So, oh, that's pretty cool that we can use it as well. So, I think they've benefited in a lot of ways uh, from that. So, yeah, really interesting. Any
0: more news from anyone? That's pretty much the news that we wanted to cover, so that's about all. We've got a chat with Matt uh, Curtis from London about some of the English news that we've previously covered, so we'll put that in Below the Fold. So that is the news that you need to use if you are in the brews industry.
1: (laughs) Didn't come up with that one before. (laughs) That was off the top of your head, wasn't (laughs) it?
0: No. So uh, if, if you need to get back to work, you can. Look, there's eight minutes of your life that you'll never get back, but hopefully it was efficient. And we'll go Below the Fold. And yes, welcome to Blow the Fold, where we talk about the news that you've just uh, listened to and also a little bit more. Anything interesting about the Gabs Hottest 100 lists? Anyone want to chat about?
1: Just shout out to some of the lovely brewers in the sort of secondary lists. Um, yeah. There were some really lovely ones, and I was so happy to see them there. Um, we saw Corumbin Valley, which is up near us, which was really cool. Uh, two rupees down in Melbourne. Um, we did a story about them opening like two years ago, so it was really nice to see them sort of progressing and making headway in these kinds of lists. Um, but, yeah, some really just lovely beers, lovely, interesting breweries. I like to see the list. I think, you know, we we don't always expect what we see in the top 100, but, you know, it's not too much of a surprise when you see your bolters and stuff up there. Um, but, yeah. This is why I love them. And I think, like we were saying, everyone was waiting with bated breath for these lists, so good on them. Good on them.
2: Yeah, I love the next lists, Um, and I would make these couple of observations. So Gab's put out the hottest 100 Indie craft beer list, and it was really interesting to see. So the way that they display it is they show you the number that it's been allocated in this list, so in the Indie craft beer list, Mm. and then the secondary number is the number that it – it got in the actual overall rankings of the Hottest 100, Mm -hmm. there are only an additional – so the the number goes down to 18, 118. Mm -hmm. So that means that in the uh, Hottest 100 list, 18 beers would not be considered indie, right? So for like Mm -hmm. 118 to roll into 100. So that means that only 20% of the beers would be considered non indie. Indie, and I just sort of flagged that because there was a couple of sort of comments around um,
1: bigger brewers
2: yeah. always. How it's a
1: Dan Murphy's thing, and obviously big bigger brewers always you. going.
2: But actually, the the data shows you that um, indie brewers, which um, are not necessarily small, but are probably smaller overall, mm-hmm. um, fared really, really well in the main in the top one hundred. Mm-hmm. So it is getting that reach. So I just thought that was. Really interesting. Um, and then the only other thing I'd flag is that um, Heads of Noosa, um, when you look at the bottom of that Indie 100, mm-hmm. um, you know, really got a bunch more beers into that list. So that's uh, one for you there, Matt.
1: I you can slip it. I love that they can slip in there and just uh, get some of their other beers that w- were doing well but not like – maybe not top 100. That, well, best, they were best, number best.
2: 11, uh, 111, 112, 116. So uh-huh. they just kind of just fared outside there. So love that it. that was that one. Um, I th- so I thought those numbers, that data was really cool around indie beers.
0: Yep. It, was, it was nice to see uh, our good friend Clip uh, talk about Spotty Dog hey. getting a bit of a, a guernsey. So hopefully, yes. um, you know, a little bit of positive reinforcement that some of the, you know, states or the brands that hadn't really put much effort into promoting themselves or engaging their audience um, will will do that.
2: Yep. And, and the next craft beers, the next hundred, there's so much movement in there like in terms of the numbers. Oh, yeah. So, you know, some breweries are up 682 places in the list and some are returning, some are new. So that next 100, it just goes to show you how much movement there is in the market mm-hmm. in that in the list below the top 100 beers.
0: And as always, my favourite comments that you see on social media are <laughs> the people who say, oh yeah, that Ben Spoke beer that came number one is pretty good, but this beer that I like more should have been number one instead. What
1: the super niche oh, beer that there's only like five cases you know, of it in the market.
2: <laughs> we oh, all think that. that
0: our favourite beer should be the best beer in, in, in Australia, but you know
1: I
2: just think I just think it's really great to see all of these. I would love to do the countdown. I would like to do it the triple J way, which is you release the two hundred to one hundred
1: we beforehand. have done that like that previously. If I we love that. we should go back to it. I yeah. thought I think we thought, oh maybe people don't want to hear the whole shebang but
2: but you see the 200 yeah. to 100 beforehand. And so then that's all over the place. And yeah. then you get the 100 list. That could
1: really be fun. Cool. Um, lovely. So,
2: yeah. Um, well done all. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, Black Ops, second equity crowdfund. You know, no mm-hmm. surprises that they did so well. They're a brand that really plays mm-hmm. the building a community card so well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're so strong at that that it's not surprising. And they also project such. Um, uh, growth, you know, like they the, they really show them, so they they really market themselves and sell their their, their, their story very well. No surprises there. Yeah.
1: Um, um, the only thing that I thought was, I don't know, I don't know why it stuck in my brain so much, but when I was talking to Dan Norris, lovely Dan Norris, um, great chap, knows his stuff, but it was interesting that. He'd basically said, well, we've kind of pretty much done everything we said we were going to do for this crowdfund. And I was like, okay, so you're getting it, but you've already kind of st- at least started half of these things. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, well, we just want to make it sure it's like a certainty and this kind of stuff. And I was like, well, actually, that's a very sensible way of doing things, I suppose. <laughs> like, you're not As just wasting the money. Somebody said
0: to me today that they'd um, heard from the, from the guys that, you know, it's, yes, they have got the money, which working capital is never a bad thing mm-hmm. in a capital intensive industry. Um, but they've got a thousand new brand, yeah,
2: ambassador.
0: ambassadors, ambassadors yeah, yeah. who are going to be out there. You know, who are going to be saying to their friends who are in incent- you know, who are not only invested in the brand literally, mm-hmm. but emotionally as well. And when you've got th- that number of people who are out taking beer and introducing it to their friends or their friends, go, oh, you know, a friend of mine has a share in this. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. just smart business. Yep. Um, which well, well, is the upside th- of equity crowdfunding.
2: Well, the yeah. up- but but i mean and not to draw the, the line back to the previous story that you mentioned but you know the point of equity crowdfunding in part is to build community and you know the point that dan has made is
0: here, it though why oh. do they sell why do they sell no not not no, i'm not talking about black ops here this is right, probably okay. blurring into yeah this is what the, i think yeah so this is, yeah
2: yeah yeah part of the point um, is to um, build community and black hops as you said are, are really sort of excellent at that and and Dan's point is well to build community and have those supporters and um, is one of the only ways to stay independent right so that, that mm-hmm. so he's yeah you know but they're you really talking about time, and it? and they've been quite transparent around the the challenge of staying independent and that the, the problem set when you're in a capital industry and you need scale and so um you know they've raised 4.2 million dollars um just over in total from equity but they've got um from equity crowdfunding but they've got all of these supporters and champions it shows up in the results that they get in you know the hottest 100 Mm -hmm. they get good votes they've built as you said a strong community i mean it's good business and to claire's point I think they've been fairly transparent with, we've said we're going to do this with your money. We've done this with your money. We're now going to do this with your money.
1: Yeah, they've a proven track record effectively and that's, I think, why they've been so successful this time. People are happy with the way they've been dealt with, uh, with communications from Black Ops. I know they. I've heard from people anecdotally that they're really good at keeping in contact with their investors. Um, And you're absolutely right. And I think that's part of it because one thing that Dan also said was that he said to me, I had someone call and say, look, uh, I wanted to invest in Black Ops, but you've said um, they did an an investor webinar. Dan apparently said at the webinar that, no, we don't want to sell to a major brewer and we're not going to sell to a major brewer. And this person said, all right, well, I kind of wanted to invest, but then when you said you weren't going to sell... Ah, uh, I was like, nah, probably not for me then. And he said he'd still buy Black Ops beer and everything like that. But um, in terms of an investment opportunity, mm-hmm. not for him. And that's absolutely fair. Like if that's what you're in for, and that's what you do it for, then you know. Well,
2: I was having a look there. at the numbers in between, but um, they raised in 2020. They raised um 1.6 million dollars from existing investors. Mm. So that wasn't necessarily a, you know, a public equity crowdfund or even released through that. Shows sure,
0: so people who have invested are happy that they invested that, and will the, invest that was,
2: more. That's exactly yeah. the point. So they obviously feel like they've been dealt with well. To, and, and that's not just we feel like we've um, been done, but we'll continue to buy your beer. That's, mm-hmm. hey, here's another $1.6 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other observation that I thought was really interesting and Sort of an aside, but it was that they said that the total uh, amount that people were investing had gone up. So it was oh, up yeah, to yeah. that four thousand mm-hmm. okay. dollars. So on a per investment basis, it had, it had increased. And I was thinking about that in the context of sort of um, the overall economy and that people are sitting, you know, um, economists supposedly are saying we, sitting on a sitting bunch on of money. a bunch of money that they need to <laughs> spend is? and put back know. into the economy, right? Because people haven't been spending in the same mm-hmm. way, and so people have invested more per person, and I just thought that was a really interesting shift. That's mm. also a confidence shift from yep. here's my $100 to here's my $4,000. Oh, yeah. The Four one
0: thousand. thing I keep hearing from, for want of a better term, sophisticated investors or professional investors or professional industry types is you know, to, to the point about you know, them selling. They have so many shareholders now. Um, and they've done it through so many different ways, through private equity, you know, so private sales, yeah. um, crowdsource funding, um, that the more they do that from a professional investor's point of view or a professional buyer's point of view, it's harder for them to sell anyway. So yeah. it's, it's oh, interesting yeah. that a, um, somebody goes, oh, look, I'm not going to invest because unless you're planning to sell um, which also shows that some people are looking at this as mm-hmm. a, I want a return on my investment yep. proposition. And Not these things... just
1: a, oh, I support you and I want to yep. be a part of your journey kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, they want some cash dollars out of it. Yeah,
0: and that's where, again, bringing it to the Endeavour story, that is has always been my problem with crowdsource funding, is that on one hand, the privately acknowledged thing and the reason that... So many shareholders get involved um, is because it builds your community and it, it, it does provide some working capital to the business and those sorts of things. And yet, all of the wording in the shareholding documents and in the prospectuses is this is an investment and it's marketed as an investment as it has to be under the um, you know corporations law. Um, but yet, as we're finding with Endeavour, it's you know ultimately you're not getting. The, you know, endeavor just hasn't put in, put out It since it launched it hasn't put out a financial report on time to the best of our knowledge no action's been taken by asic mm-hmm. um you know their current financial report is overdue they've made a significant investment without having you know w- without providing information to shareholders how they did and from from the money from from the reporting that they have done they've done nothing but for the four financial years the two on either side of the equity crowdfund lost money. We don't know what the 2021 result is because they say that they can't prepare the results. And you've got shareholders who are going, well, and I am one, Um, you know, I've got the smallest possible shareholding. (laughs) So like, I'm not, (laughs) I, I never sort of, Come, I, I come across this as a journalist, not as a disgruntled shareholder, because
1: <laughs> you were, we were never going to make
2: money we yeah, out
0: of that. It, 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 you know,
1: <laughs> not enough to retire on anyway.
2: So, can, do you guys know whether ASIC um, have a task force or a group or actively enforce on crowdfundings generally? Like, because if it's a regulated guys, it's area, Terry really so <laughs> was a hundred
0: million dollar company. So, at one stage, was a hundred million dollar company, and it was deemed too small cap for ASIC to. Uh, for and the ASX. ASX yeah, to yeah. actually look into. So now it's a $10 million company. And yet that is a company that warrants, you know, yeah, based scrutiny. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it certainly warrants professional scrutiny. You know, the only people that are scrutinizing it, you know, even the AFR, you know, the Australian Financial Review, will take anything that. Um, Kent says and just publish it Mm -hmm. without putting a counterpoint of view the only people who are doing any scrutiny it just
1: makes a mockery of the ASX because what's a better investment black ops which is not on the ASX it's doing it itself on virtual or brew which is on the ASX (laughs) and and it just makes them look crap
0: my issue is that you know like again people will invest in crowdfunding because they like the brands so why sell it as a um, investment, and if you are going to sell it as an investment, regulate it you know mm. it 's regulated in enforce regulations, yeah. and that 's just not happening yeah. um you know th- th- there is no scrutiny and you know a- as a shareholder you can 't compel your board to provide find the financial information that you theoretically are entitled to and you know when again when endeavor when you go back to the you know all of the documents that endeavor filed when they were telling people what an awesome business it was it was we'll treat you like family be part of our family mm-hmm. and they don't exactly treat you well. Hopefully it's a sort of family opt- that has a very dysfunctional Christmas <laughs> um, at, at, at the moment let's put it that way and you know again on one hand you know immediately after the close of the equity crowdfunding you know you, you had other beer magazines talking about how they exceeded their minimum by one hundred and eighty three percent and then the language that's being used since then is, well, the equity crowdfunding didn't give us enough to execute our plans. And yet the 2.3 million that they that they say that they needed to actually do what they said they were going to do mm-hmm. was described in their prospectus as a stretch target. You go, know, well, hold on. If your minimum is, say, $300,000 and you're celebrating the fact that you exceeded that you know, by 183%, aren't you then, you know, stopped or, you know, prevented from going, well, we didn't raise enough Mm -hmm. because, well, you did raise enough. It was a stretch target.
1: Added to that the nice little check from Endeavour Drinks.
0: Oh (laughs) Well, that's that's even before they got the five mil from Endeavour Drinks for the sale of their um, intellectual property (gasps) and that – even what after that $5 million, million dollars, their last published account showed that they only had 1.7 left so you're going
1: <laughs> Listeners uh, Sabrina looks really concerned well, I and just, uh, annoyed about the whole thing
2: Yeah I am sort of because you know like I'm a bit I used to be a governance person and I just sit here and go this this screams of lack of accountability Yes and Yes it does lack of <laughs> uh, proper, God. proper governance and then I go okay well what does that mean for the beer industry sure that's really but that's this is then happening everywhere mm. and mm-hmm. what was sticking in my mind was a couple of weeks ago we had that report around afterpay yes yep. and what was it was the financial what were the people that sort of said you should be really cautious of it because it's unregulated uh, and so,
1: financial counseling australia they run the national debt helpline
2: right so national debt helpline and i was thinking well this is just another example of how people could get themselves you know um Ill-informed investor mm-hmm. invests four thousand dollars, not a hundred, because they think they're going to get a financial return. Mm-hmm. And how bad would that look uh, like? And, the and
0: this is my problem with it being sold and marketed as an investment, well, as te- te- opposed to just a community. It
2: mm-hmm. is technically an investment, and and if the prospectuses and, and co are clear about what you're getting for your investment, and you're reported back, and you know you're not expecting dividends or whatever, and you're playing the long game. I mean, people invest in all sorts of things for those sorts of reasons. But I guess I was just coming back to. What is the regulatory or assistance body or accountability body, or, or where do you go to get help on this? Um, you know, well, if you're a, exactly if you're Joe Blogs, because so you know, there's the sort of the part in me that goes, this could be really bad for individuals, and then the second part of me goes, okay, well, what does it mean for craft beer? And in so, if Black mm. Ops are, are trading off this as this is how it can keep us independent, and then. Endeavor over there are doing something that's not great. Mm-hmm. That that has the ability to tarnish. Oh yeah, crowd equity, crowd equity crowdfunding for, for everybody. everybody. And yeah. that's and yeah. right. And so that's really not great. No,
0: and, and and that was why that was our you know issue from the start um, was businesses that are probably deserving of equity crowdfunding if equity crowdfunding gets a sniff and uh you know this actually brings us into uh we might play now the chat with matt curtis that i had because it brings into uh talking about the lion story where lion has sold its two craft breweries in the uk but then also brings in brew dog because brew dog are the world leaders in the you know equity for punks or the, the crowdsourced equity where they've raised so much money but as matt Says, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll play that now. But as as Matt says uh, in in this conversation, a lot of people are hoping to get a return, and the longer it goes on before they do their IPO or their whatever, if, if they don't reach the valuation, the only people who are going to make money are the you know yeah. corporate suits that Brewdog always said that they hated. So here is uh, my conversation with uh, Matthew Curtis, uh, English beer writer, um, talking about those topics. Matthew Curtis, welcome to Brews News Week. Thank you, Matt. How are you? Matt, I'm I'm very, very well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been a while since we've actually uh, caught up. But with the pandemic, we've all been a little bit insular, I think, until suddenly Lion announced plans to sell its two, you know, much-touted UK craft breweries. Talk us through that.
3: Yeah, it's a very surprising announcement. And the way they did it was kind of weird too. They released this... Instagram message that kind of vaguely uh, suggested that they were looking to offload the two brands they acquired. So that's 4Pure in London, that was 2018, and Magic Rock in Huddersfield in West Yorkshire, which was 2019. But later, this article appeared in a UK trade publication called The Grocer uh, from a writer called Daniel Wolfson, which he had got the exclusive. And it turns out that uh, sales had not been Uh, going well for for pure and magic rock through the channels which was mostly uh, larger pub chains and national grocery and they were indeed looking to sell there's no buyer Uh, they've just literally put them on the market which is very strange you know they only acquired magic rock um, two years ago really to to quite a lot of fanfare on their part Uh, but it hasn't worked out for them anyone that makes a business
0: decision at the moment wants to blame covid and you know you, you 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 can't ignore covid in any way but you would think that if they'd struggled a little bit over those two years covid is a good reason to do that and a good reason to hold out hope that post covid once things get back to normal that that they'll they'll continue so do you think that it is a covid thing or have have they just found the the the,
3: the uk a tougher market than maybe they expected? I think COVID is a factor, but not the only factor and not the overriding factor. I think COVID is going to have a, uh, a negative effect on the UK beer market over the next two years, as is Brexit. Don't forget that's happening as well. But I don't think what's happening with Lion, and this is a personal opinion, I will stress that, I don't think what's happening with Lion is necessarily 100% to do with either of those things. I think they've genuinely made some poor decisions with those brands and had an expectation of what they could do within the UK market and applied, dare I say, Australian strategy in an English market that hasn't worked out for them. Uh, and, And that's come back to bite them, which is why these brands haven't worked. And let's not forget, they've also piled millions of dollars into the US and in New Belgium, they have the mm. best-selling IPA in grocery in America. So that's clearly where the wins are for them, where they're seeing the wins. And it looks like um, Australia and the US is where they want to pull their resources.
0: When you say that they uh, didn't get the strategy right for the UK, what was their strategy, do you think?
3: I think you have to look at 4Pure and Magic Rock separately in this uh, incident. And 4Pure is an interesting one because... They essentially took on the founder, Daniel Lowe, um, to manage line operations in the UK. Uh, and Forpio had, what dare I say, a safe brand. It was a very clean brand. It wasn't too edgy um, and definitely had upscalability. It, it was had everything going for it. And the brand was built around what it called the spirit of adventure. But somewhere along the line, Uh, Dan Lowe and his brother Tom, who founded the brewery, were essentially shown the back door and then they tried to sort of do their own strategy. It's weird. I wrote for you about how they were going to open a Panhead tap room. That site was secured. That was happening and that just uh, disappeared. Um, I don't know how Panhead would have fared in in the UK. I did go to the Little Creatures Brew Pub in London a couple of times and that never seemed to, to kick on.
0: I was going to ask you about Little Creatures because Little Creatures was part of their global expansion where they had a San Francisco venue, a couple in Asia, and then, then in London. And that, that wave has retreated back.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, Little Creatures, it kind of came into the UK and it's formed a bit too late. The UK beer market had kind of moved on from that. Uh, that pretty simple pale ale, lager, lineup we were doing more interesting and exciting things even with bigger brands that were being acquired like Beavertown and Camden Town and Four Pure as a great example but coming back to Four Pure they rebranded um and they applied this Australian strategy where it was kind of like it's just beer it doesn't matter what it tastes like and the UK in turn if I was a beer buyer I'd be even for a large chain I'd be like well I I do care what it tastes like and how how am I going to sell this against Beavertown, which is all about the the big hops and and that kind of flavor and Brewdog and Camden? They're the big brands in grocery, um, so yeah, they applied the strategy and it hasn't worked. Magic Rock, that's a different story entirely. That's a brand that was it had incredibly loyal craft beer following. Um, it was a hyped brand. It was also really popular locally. Uh, in Huddersfield, in West Yorkshire, where they're based. But one thing that happened in the pandemic was there was some controversy over some uh, redundancies uh, where they could have furloughed their staff um, and essentially putting them on 80% of their wage while they re- you know retained them. Um, but Lyon decided to make them redundant. It, the decision was eventually reversed after some local anger, but people in Yorkshire have long memories and that really locally where it was really important damaged the brand but it it also demonstrates you can't just buy into a really good craft brand and Magic Rock is a great brand and then just apply that strategy to wider grocery and and, um, mainstream pub chains they lost the market that loyal craft beer following which is interesting it's demonstrative to me how important that market is uh who people who do support independent breweries within the uk i think this might be the first sign of all us people banging the drum saying selling out is going to be bad for the industry this might be a bit of evidence to say you know this didn't work for magic rock because their market was craft beer any suggestions uh yet as to who may be interested in buying do you know what i have heard nothing i could speculate for you i've been thinking about it this morning (laughs) who would you suggest i'll give some speculative examples i don't think um a beer a big beer brand is going to come in because carlsberg their investment in london london fields brewery they've sold that that's failed molson Coors invested in a brewery in london called hop stuff they've kept the brand but sold all their sites and brewery so you know, clearly there's evidence that just buying into a craft brand isn't working. But if you look at the US, we've just seen Monster Energy acquire Kaneki. So that's evidence to me that people in beverage, but not necessarily alcoholic beverage, are looking to broaden their portfolios. But one more interesting thing is that there's some family brewers, these these old regional cask brewers, um, you know, like St. Hostel, Timothy Taylor's, for example, if you look at their ingoings and outgoings, these companies are doing pretty well. It's been tough in the pandemic, but now sales seem to be picking up. And you know, I will say again, for the record, this is 100% speculation, but I wouldn't be surprised if one of these larger family brewers that wanted a modern brand to add to its portfolio of traditional cask would, wouldn't swoop in for someone like Magic Rock. For Forpure, I'm not sure it has the legs anymore to carry on. I don't see it competing against Camden Town and Beaver Town in the market.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, look, we'll certainly uh, touch base and keep uh, keep in touch with that one. Now, moving on to another big news item last week was the uh, BBC investigation into BrewDog.
3: Yes, and um, I've seen that's had over half a million views on the BBC, plus someone has uh, taken that video and put it online so people outside – the uk can see it yeah i mean in the beer industry there's a lot of stuff there that we've talked about for a long time but now especially in scotland because it was aired live in scotland not in the whole of the uk you can catch up on the the bbc streaming service in the uk but i think this is uh big because we've never really seen this kind of behavior in the brewing industry have such ramifications um i guess you know brew dog's uh attitude has come back to bite them
0: on one hand they've always been loud and brash and used public you know used media instead of advertising to you know establish their brand but over the last you know two years 18 months we've certainly seen a lot of that come back to bite them you know uh, even a little bit before that there was the um kerfuffle about them getting pitches from creatives and then, you know, mirroring those. But, you know, even more recently, there was the gold can that wasn't valued at at what it was. There were, you know, there's been, it it seems that, you know, every month or two, there is a scandal of some sort that they're embroiled in. Um, They still seem to be growing. They still seem to, uh, you know, be on the up. But do you think this one has a little bit more legs that, you know, the, 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 this is a little bit more mainstream to damage the
3: brand there is a part of me that recognizes the fact that brew is a nationally and internationally recognized brand and despite the viewing figures for the episode it's still punk ipa is the number two um craft brand in the uk as you know craft beer is designed is defined by the Office for National Statistics in the UK and it Brewdog's Punk IPA was number 1 for many years but Camden Hells is now number 1 but that's purely just because of the amount of expansion ABI have done for Camden mm-hmm. and it's a volume thing just there's just more volume available but the fact is that um Brewdog is looking for an IPO it's looking to list on the stock exchange it 6 years ago it took um a huge amount of private equity from TSG Consumer Partners. It has so many bar openings planned. It's got hotel openings planned. Um, their strategy from this documentary is they've said they're gonna take the BBC to court over claims they're faults. There's zero accountability being taken. Martin Dickey, the other co founder, has not said anything. He he simply posted a picture of his new distillery. That was that was what he did after the uh after the show was aired. Um, I would say BrewDog probably have 12 months to get into shape to list that IPO. You know, you don't see many private equity deals go on for longer than seven years. They're normally four or five. So
0: they have to, don't they? Because my understanding of the private equity agreement was that they had the, the different class of shares and their return on any liquidity event was an 18% return compounding year on year or, uh, you know, a significant. So the longer it goes on, the less money from any IPO or sale will be available to the business.
3: I understand it. Indeed. And if they don't get the value of the company up to a legitimate 2 billion because the the value, the true value of the company was pulled into question by this documentary, um, then it's going to, you know, the other investors are going to lose out in particular, you know, these equity punks that that it's taken so many millions of pounds off over the years. I don't think a lot of people in the early days invested in BrewDog looking to make a return. They just wanted to be part of something they enjoyed and wanted a discount in the bars and on the online shop. But they probably have over the years amassed some investors who thought they might see something. Um, So they're at the risk of offering them nothing. As it says in the documentary, you know that. That offer, that C-share offer that they've given TSG is very, very high, very unusual. Um, so there's a lot being pulled into question there. Um, what's interesting is, you know, in, there have been some ramifications. Cloudwater had a contract to brew their supermarket beers at BrewDog. They released a statement hours before the uh, documentary aired to say they are winding that down. Uh, And other breweries have stated they won't work with them any longer. But there are still breweries selling beer into their bars and uh, doing collaborations with them and inviting them to their beer festivals. So there's still a lot of legitimacy being given to BrewDog despite all these accusations Um, and an almost blunt refusal from the upper management of BrewDog to take accountability for serious on-the-record accusations and we're talking over 300 ex staff now who have signed this letter that came out last year and as we saw on the documentary did you know they were threatened to have their identities uh, revealed but clearly they don't worry about that because they went on camera including mm-hmm. in the u.s one current brewdog employee this was a, a huge deal to have an employee speak on the record to camera um while being employed by brewdog about their uh negative workplace practices um i think this it's still fresh it's still raw um but i at the moment i don't know how it will affect them we we won't know for a few months if this will have a real knock on effect on their sales will people walk i mean there's so much great beer in the supermarket now will people walk past them will people stop going to their bars or will people just carry on and pick up a six pack of punk ipa um My gut tells me that, unfortunately, it's more likely to be the latter. Whether or not they get enough sales to get that uh, valuation up to where it needs to be, um, I think it's uh, very muddy at the moment.
0: Well, again, another one that will park and we'll no doubt come back and uh, check in with you in a couple of months' time and see. So, uh, Matthew Curtis, thank you very much. Glad to see you so well, uh, despite everything that's been going on in, uh, in, in the UK. And I won't even get started on what's happening on the political scene over there because… Uh, <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> but uh, stay well and look forward to talking with you again soon. Cheers, Matt. Thank you very much. What did you guys think of that, Claire?
1: Well, we love Matt. Matt's a good egg um but and he's not far wrong with so many of these points um just especially on the magic rock front so obviously if you didn't know i'm from yorkshire uh we are parochial people uh we don't like it uh when (laughs) you go a little bit too general if you're from yorkshire you say you're from yorkshire you shout out loud and proud so especially the magic rock um uh, aspect of that chat definitely sort of rang true with me um and the redundancies during covid was a really interesting one as well so we haven't had that many reports of redundancies in the same way in the uh, australian brewing industry we had job JobKeeper and things like that um but that is some bad press uh especially for what a company that was previously very proudly yorkshire you know it, it, it was just interesting that, that that came across uh but also the fact that i mean the writing was on the wall even in their uh Press release. They were basically saying, "Oh, it was. It's been difficult trading." And Matthew suggested that you know that, that's been going on for a while. That might not necessarily even be specifically COVID related. As I,
0: yeah as I said to, to, to Matthew, you know, if it was just COVID, you'd think that as things open up, they would stick. Uh, yeah. Um, but COVID is a convenient excuse mm-hmm. to leave for without. Yeah. Because because you can retreat without admitting failure.
1: Yep. Yes.
2: Exactly. Or. or, or explaining your underlying change in business strategy mm-hmm. and or, or, yeah. But yeah. It,
0: it, it's fascinating. And, and the reason that we covered this story uh, from the English perspective is because Lime is Little World Beverages is the um, – that Kieran has entrusted with its international investments and it's uh, sort of made the two purchases in the US. But it's also the same business that – opened a string of little creatures across Asia and into San Francisco and also in London that it's retreated from. You know, mm-hmm. it's tried to take, you know, and, and that fascinated me, that um, element of taking Little World, you know, of taking Little Creatures as the global brand and whether it was going to fosterise the world in a craft mm-hmm. beer terms and just didn't. Yeah. It's bought two UK breweries um, that it has retreated from and, um, does that inspire confidence in its significant um, US acquisitions?
2: If I was thinking about it um, from a global business sense, those acquisitions, while significant in the craft market and those moves in the craft market, actually is a global business. They're probably quite small, Mm. Um, total investments as part of their portfolio. And it sounds to me a little bit like um, we're figuring out how things work. You know, we're going to trial some things. Yep. We're going to see how it goes. We're going to refine it. So that's because the, the magnet, the order of magnitude of, of, of Kieran is, you know, so large. Um, but it it does what it sparks for me is this this point that I think you touched on and um, Claire. But you know, so much of craft has come
1: out of location. So much of it has been. They name their breweries after the local area. They name their beers after a local landmark or something like that.
2: But it's why we can continue to see so many breweries pop up everywhere because everybody wants their local. Yep. And so trying to. Paul West,
0: to- I don't know if you've managed to catch up with my delayed chat with uh, Paul West for for Beer as a Conversation this week and that's where we touch on that. And, uh, you know, he's somebody – he was the host of River Cottage Australia that was very much about location and provenance for food, which was why he was a fascinating guest to talk about. And he said, you know, small towns, you know, it is – there are challenges with it, but that was one of the underlying things. Yeah.
2: And and, and so maybe on a global scale, you know, the point that I think um, Matt made about, you know, you're trying to bring an Australian brand – to San Francisco that's not – that. that's just not going to resonate. Yeah, it doesn't resonate. and Not if it's being sold as craft, right, as opposed to being sold as as fosters, which is being sold as – And it
1: knows what it is. It's a general bear for just general purposes. Yeah, it's an outback steakhouse,
2: (laughs) right? Like it's selling –
0: This was the thing. It wasn't – and that was what fascinated me about the little creature's move, particularly to San Francisco but into Asia – because on one hand, when you sell Australia abroad, it is the Akubra, it is yeah. the you know the <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the yeah. Steve Irwin um, yeah. element. Because well, as you pander to that, what yeah. they perceive Australia to be, yeah. which is why that's called
1: exploitation. As- o-
0: Ozplo- o- Ozplo- o- oh, that's is. a great Very term good.
1: It's used in film, mostly. <laughs> you know, like crocodile Dundee and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Selling the Australian ideal to the exploitation. I love that. But okay. it's something
0: that kills a brand locally because. Australians don't want to see themselves the way that we're portrayed internationally. Especially not nowadays. Nowadays. And that was where it was fascinating. So we made a specific detour to San Francisco just to go see the little creatures there. And there was the slightest, slightest bit of Australiana, but it wasn't uh, Australiana. And from a business point of view, that's where I was wondering, well, what is it that you're selling here? Because you've taken little creatures that was an uh, an American pale ale – that launched, in a lot of respects, craft beer in a real sense in Australia. Mm-hmm. But how do you take an American pale ale back to the home of the American pale ale and market it unless you're going to make it... Australiana. Australian, Australian, yeah. which yeah. they didn't do. Um, and you sort of think, well, again... Whenever – as a journalist, whenever we ask these questions, oh, Matt, smarter people than you are making these decisions until suddenly <laughs> the decisions don't look all that smart in but, hindsight.
2: But, well, and, and who knows? But, I mean, you know, then essentially you're just launching a brand and what is the benefit of it being a brand that exists, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, what is the connection and what's the story the that's been had no told?
0: Relevance there and That's, things like that, and now it's a new Belgium tap room. Uh, yeah. there, there were other factors. There was a major construction work and um, you know bridges being torn up outside the venue, and then we had the pandemic and a whole lot of things like that. But it was.
2: But it does like come back to this whole strategy around you know um, can you globalise craft mm-hmm. and should you globalise well, Broodhog craft? Well, Brewdog has
0: done it uh, to, to bring it to the next part of mm. Matt's conversation. That's something that Brewdog has very very successfully done in a way, and as Matthew said, to their detriment because they cast themselves as the punks, the IPA, you know, the, the, the outsiders, yep. Yep. Um, you know, the anti-corporate guys, you know, on one hand, shit-canning Heineken whilst
2: owning, <laughs> heineken. owning <laughs> shares and
0: wanting a Heineken to uh, go into a joint venture with them. Um, and they very successful. And I, I think their brand has actually successfully outgrown what we as beer people know them as mm-hmm. because they have started to mainstream. And once you're in the mainstream, people are yeah. much less invested in the truth of the brand. They yeah. just want to mm-hmm. have a connection with the brand somehow. And so a lot of this stuff that has come out probably hasn't hurt them as that mainstream brand, but it has hurt their their, their base, which is always the challenge.
2: Well, we were talking about it before. So there's BrewDog in Brisbane. Mm-hmm. And you would go there to that venue irrespective of the name that was on the building. You wouldn't tar BrewDog
1: Australia with the brush of their bosses in Scotland. It just seems
0: to... When you're there, the people, that could be called anything, so long as it was operated in in, in the same way. Um, That's
2: that's what I mean. It's such a fantastic venue. The staff there are Mm -hmm. great. The fact that it's BrewDog is almost sort of incidental. Yeah. To to it except for and I uh, anticipate you know how they got into the market and the funding they received and s- from the government and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. But you know I don't really. Government's
0: been strangely quiet about Brewdog and Blade, <laughs> haven't they? Convenient.
1: <laughs> I sort of you know like in my mind I I don't see them as the yeah. same entity. You can I, you can separate them like psychologically in your mind, can't you? Oh, that's that big corporate beer moth elsewhere in a different continent. Yeah. And this is the brew dog that we know. Mm. We know these people. Okay, we know this and to, to
0: Sabrina's point before about it hurts the broader industry, mm. and this was my point about, for example, stone and wood selling, where beer people, you know, they were mainstream enough that a whole lot of people clearly didn't care about the sale because they just don't. But in that more niche world where people do know, they do care, they do invest in brands... When they see a brew dog that you know made itself punk and we're anti corporate, yeah. hm. and then they suddenly sell out to the man, or you know they, they've yep. they've got them they've got to get the value of that business up just to be able to give the um, private equity investors mm. a return. Because I th- from from memory, and uh, I, I could be wrong about this from memory, the sale value for the percentage of the company like it made it a billion dollar company because they sold twenty percent for. 200 million pounds so I it made it a billion dollar company 100 million of that was taken off the table immediately by um the original shareholders so and then 100 million dollars was invested in the business but that money you know from from memory it was an 18% compounding return on any sale you know, so if if they do an IPO the first money that comes through that IPO goes to the private equity people with an 18% return. So we're now coming up to five years, I think, since. So that's 18% plus yeah, 18% yeah. plus 18%, which is getting to a significant sum. And, right. you know, so for, for, for the business, that always said that we're anti-suits. You know, we're, you know, this, we're that.
2: There's not going to be much money left over. There's for not going to the... be a lot of money
0: left over for the equity punks. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. any other brand that launches itself as a rebellion against the mainstream Will,
2: of which there are several in Australia. Who will that, will still they be play believed? That? You
0: know, are, are, yeah. Will there be that same level of support, or do people just become cynical? Well, um, well,
2: I know though. You know, of some of those brands that are smaller, that sort of rage against the mainstream. Um, you know, they you are making calls about how do you get access to your beer okay well if we go into Dan Murphy's are we mainstream but if we don't go into Dan Murphy's then we're not we can't get nationally ranked you know like there there are these trade-offs that get made to make your business successful mm-hmm. even if you want to rage against the man mm-hmm. right
1: so it's you've, yeah like, you've got to decide. To what point are you <laughs> but, okay with compromise? ultimately, <laughs> is
0: it all bullshit? I mean, that's <laughs> the, the <laughs> thing is, is ultimately, all, <laughs> well, ultimately all of these marketing, extreme marketing, posturing positions. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: yes. Yeah. Yes, so, they are.
0: Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, moving on. Now, uh, oh. that's the news. Oh, um, we
1: should do, yeah. Mail, do you want to do mailbag? Well, the, uh, do but mail there back. were
0: two stories that uh, oh, did you want to had been uh, celebrated. Beer is not just for men in skinny jeans, the women promoting female booze businesses. My favorite expression. <laughs> I knew you hated that. Um, the sausage. I, I only stock wine that's made by women. I don't want to be a dick about it. <laughs> Pardon <laughs> the pun. But uh, if I could only sell beer made by women, I absolutely would. Um, is is there a what? You know, what did you guys think of, about that article? Again, is it just a you know, like um, two birds? The, the brewery founded by it's. It's a nice pitch to to launch a business or a nice pitch to promote a business is there a sustainable business in only selling um, beer made by women or wine made by women?
1: Yep. (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. No, I agree. Okay. (laughs) I I, I mean, why wouldn't there be? I mean, I guess, you know, I would put the the counter to it. Why wouldn't there be? Because there is becoming enough choice and it's going to start with being um, this is female only. But as this business evolves, they're going to be stocking things that are um, led by women, but somebody's going to walk into the store and not know that and they're going to get to try something else. I mean, I just think, why wouldn't this work? Yep. Why wouldn't it work? You're not going to not go in there because it's only stocked by… Um, oh, there will be biz- some people
1: out there that do if
2: they hear about it. But well, we prob-
0: don't care yeah, about those yeah, people. But that's the thing. Do. That's the, the true <laughs> of any marketing. You know, yeah, you're going to alienate right. some yeah. people gonna- um, and, and so long as you find your audience. That's
2: um, as long, why wouldn't it work and
0: it's it's only good for the industry the more people who are drinking beer
2: it's only good for the industry
0: um, now there's the other story in the mainstream news and we didn't cover this one again because it's
1: because it happens twice a year
2: beer
0: costs could yeah and, and it's
1: like sh- should we report that Christmas is beer happening beer costs
0: <laughs> could rise from today as tax hike hits and industry calls for reprieve as anyone listening to this podcast knows twice a year the indexed excise goes up um, this year and every year the Brewers Association rails against it Their strategy this year has been to make it about hoteliers Mm -hmm. um, and it's a punishment for hoteliers. Look, it's a really, really complicated, as I think I touched on last last week. Mm -hmm. Tax is very, very... At the end of the day, we need money to pay for schools and healthcare and alcohol does impact healthcare and all of those sorts of things. If we're not going to be raising the money from a sin tax, where are we going to raise it? None of us want to pay more income tax. So parking that... This is a campaign by the biggest brewers to reduce excise that doesn't impact hoteliers except in the overall price of beer, but what they don't tell you is the things that they tell the stock market when they're trying to sell shares in their business that we are operating the most profitable beer industry in the world Mm -hmm. for the big brewers because there is so little competition in Australia mm-hmm. that they make more money. So if they're so concerned about these poor publicans, maybe they could reduce the wholesale price of beer.
2: Yes, and... Well, no, um, well, no, no, exactly. no because
0: they're boasting on one hand about record profits I don't or disagree. internationally profits. I don't
2: disagree but with you. But the other
0: thing is that they're saying that their campaign is we're the fourth most taxed beer, you know, alcohol drinkers in the world. Yes, we are. It doesn't seem to be hurting sales on a global basis because people seem to have factored that level of tax in. Yeah. The thing that I find interesting about this is that you've got craft brewers who are jumping on the same campaign saying yes, all excise should be lowered, which is what the brewers association is asking for rather than, you know, skewing it towards to, to benefit small brewers, but I mean, I have issues with that as well.
1: Um Matt, if you're a small brewer and you didn't you just accepted the fact that you had to pay excise and didn't moan about it, like the Brewers Association, uh, you'd want to sell some beer, and you'd need some cans. Well, nice that
0: little... Beer. Well, I've got an even better <laughs> segue. Last week, when we talked about... Uh, yeah. I, I talked about the beer of the week. We don't have a beer of the week, week. Um, Not this week. The, this week, but the beer that I chose, that uh, was the um, beer from Easy Times, which oh, was the yeah, table, table Saison, Saison. Yeah. that actually used yeast from uh, Bluestone, Bluestone, which I didn't know at the time. Oh. I got an email from our good friends at uh, Rallings Labels Stickers and Packaging to tell me that the labels were done by Rallings. (gasps) So, how's...
1: I mean that was an all that was oh, a win. Ding ding ding. And so that yeah, was beautifully if, 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 if you done. thought that
0: we were just skewing our <laughs> beer of the week to an advertiser, I would have done Tell it much out much you better. Are we weren't. <laughs> and well no, but it it, it just shows <laughs> we're how so pervasive artless,
1: though, aren't
0: we? <laughs> so uh, yeah, if you would like a little bit of the magic outside of the can for a beer that we thought had a little bit of magic inside the can, uh, you can get that magic from Relling's label stickers and packaging. They're not just able to supply labels for your can. Or bottles, but they can also supply printed or blank cartons, can trays, tap decals, barcodes, and shrink sleeves already applied to empty beer cans ready for filling. Now, you don't need a shrink sleeving machine, they have all of the kit, they will just do it for you. Uh, give them a call on 1300 852 235 to find out more. Letters of the week, and this week's mailbag is brought to you by New Zealand Altrail. Trail. Head to www nzaltrail.com or at nzaltrail on social media to find the best beer experiences in New Zealand. And we can't wait to get to New Zealand to discover some of those for ourselves. Another nice comment from Rob Stewart, frequent uh, commentator regarding uh, about Paul West, um, regarding the discussion about locality-driven breweries and convincing these local people to pay more for that product. Uh, I'm always drawn back to bread as an example of where that works, where people can easily go to the supermarket and get a loaf of cheap bread at $1.99 a loaf. And there is still a massive market for $7 loaf of artisanal bread, even in local bakeries, and those bakeries become part of the I life. I am such Light a sucker
1: for that as well. I will yep. t- absolutely spend more on that, definitely. 100%. Same with beer. Yeah, agreed. Mm. Totally behind your nail.
0: But that's where all of these below-the-line things that we talk about on Beer as a Conversation about reinforcing the positives of a brand and locking in the value of a brand. You know, The, the, the more the brewers create the perception that... These things don't matter. They're undercutting their own brands. And uh, that's why I talk about Seltzer, for example. Um,
2: I I think that um, this question of provenance, I I mean, I think we're going to move on from the argument around independence and Mm. we're going to start to have, an uh, I think, the next frontier for – Major discussion amongst um, the industry, and in particular the independence industry, is going to be this question of provenance, and
0: that's where labelling matters. Uh, that's absolutely. And, and that well, this is this why has come up in the for conversation a decade. I've been banging on about labelling. <laughs> so you
2: come at it from a labelling perspective, I mean, oh, that's just
0: one. That's just an easy to grasp example.
2: It, it is, um, you know, Ben Crassett at Bridge Road raised it. It's clearly been raised here. You talked so, you know, I think that's going to be. If we're talking drink local and people really want to know what local means mm-hmm. and they really want to understand where their local product comes from. I mean you're seeing it in agriculture. I mean, not to go down a rabbit hole, but um, you know, how blockchain is being used so that you can know where track. your yeah. you could track mm-hmm. the where the ingredients into your finished product. I mean, there are Cottage industries, I know people working in all of that tech side everywhere. I know beers have looked at it. I know Gladfield Malt have looked at it, how that you can track where it comes uh, through I, into your beer. I think we
0: might have to have a special look oh, yeah. at But this question blockchain. of
2: provenance, I think – Because oh, I think if you put
0: something on the label, that's all the provenance so long as the body's tasked with enforcing – the truth in advertising, in foot. All you need to sort of say is this is where it's made. Yeah, you don't need that, a computer program to tell you where a, the malt a, came a compu- from.
2: No, but that, um, because you don't care where the malt came from. I guess the point is that if consumers, if, if this conversation about provenance is that we think consumers care where the ingredient, where the inputs came from and where the product's made. I think that's going to be the the next frontier of kind of big conversation in craft. Okay, we,
0: we might park that and have a big conversation because oh, that is a, yeah, that is a, huge, a huge conversation. Huge. I think
2: it is. I, th- yeah, but I think agreed. just all these little threads are starting to come through that that seems to be a place um, that, that it's going to come up.
1: Yeah, that's it.
0: Well, there you go. That's another week of all of the news that you need to know and the discussion that maybe you do or you don't. Um, <laughs> and this episode of Bruise News is brought to you by Scarf Fabricating. Support for this episode comes from Scarf Fabricating who build reliable automated packaging line equipment that is handcrafted to make life easier for breweries and their production teams. If you are a brewer looking for the best way to get get your product out of your taproom and into the hands of your customers, Scarfab has you covered. With a wide range of depalletizers, custom conveyance, date coating, rinsing and drying systems and more. Scarfab specialises in helping breweries of all sizes get all their beer from keg to can. To find out more about how Scarfab can help you sell more beer, visit www.scarfab.com. Scarfabricating.com today that's s-k-a-fabricating.com to get started today thank you senior journalist uh, claire burnett <laughs> thanks matt thank you sabrina for joining us once again <laughs>
2: thanks matt
0: and uh, we will be back next week with another episode of Bruce news week and also another episode of beer is a conversation dropping in your podcast stream next tuesday that wraps up another week of news your hosts have been matt kirkegaard claire burnett and sabrina kunz the show is produced by Vivian Topalovic and edited by Joe Helder. Thank you to our supporters, Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging, Scarf Fabricating, New Zealand Ale Trail and Thirsty Merchants. If you like what we do here at Bruce News and you're an industry representative, you can join as a subscriber or join our business directory. You can email sam at bruisenews.com.au to find out more. Thank you all for listening. Share your thoughts on the show by emailing producer at bruisenews.com.au or by leaving a review on your favourite podcasting service. And we're out.
1: Boom.